You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Annie McLaughlin here for Stick Together, a half hour of worker stories, union news and social justice issues. We come to you from 3CR on the unceded lands of the Kulin Nation with respect to their elders, past, present and emerging. We are coming to you on your community radio station through the Community Radio Network. Trust is broken. And you can understand that when the super-rich have outstripped their extraordinary capture of half of all new wealth in the past decade, with the richest 1% grabbing nearly two-thirds of all new networks, some $42 trillion created just since 2020, almost twice as much as the income of the bottom 99% of the world's population. And when billionaire fortunes are increasing by $2.7 billion a day, and in most countries inflation is outpacing wages, amplifying the long-term decline in labour income share that in many countries spans the last four decades. When you put all that together, and now we understand that the numbers of people at risk of starvation are greater than our international services can support. We do need institutions that genuinely support economic planning and a broader analysis of value added in our society. A commitment to build a well-being economy, not just expand GDP. We, we do not need institutional opposition to inclusive and sustainable development. And I'm going to be really political and say the Productivity Commission is a case in point. I've had a long sense of opposition, a long stated opposition, to the work of this uh, institution. It could have been so positive. Mm. It was created originally to facilitate transition and industrial assistance in the wake of Australia's unilateral trade liberalisation in the 70s and 80s. It's now a bastion of unreflective, unapologetic, free market mm. economic dogma. I don't think I'm pulling any punches here. A recent and, a, and especially infuriating example was this annual review of trade policy, which lectured the Commonwealth Government to reject any proposals to offer proactive fiscal or regulatory support for Australia's nascent renewable energy manufacturing sector, but also lithium processing, battery manufacturing, or shop corridor manufacture of electric vehicles. Mm. The Commission said we should stick to our knitting also called our comparative advantage in neoclassical doctrine, namely limit our role in the coming energy revolution to digging minerals out of the ground, mm. selling them to other countries, and uh, which then transform them into expensive, value-added products such as batteries or Tesla and happily sell them back to us. Mm. That's not a vision we will share. That's what we largely, not entirely, but that's what we allowed ourselves to do largely over those uh, several decades. And in the long run, it's a losing proposition, economically, geopolitically, and environmentally. So it's time for this commission to be fundamentally restructured, reoriented, or indeed 
staggering reflections by former ACTU, Australian Council of Trade Union Secretary, and the General Secretary of the International Trade Union Confederation, the ITUC, Sharon Burrows, delivering the Laurie Carmichael Lecture 2023 last week. It is a good place to start looking at the economic squeeze being felt by Australian workers and the unwaged. Why is it happening? How can things improve for working Australians and others caught up in the grip of price hikes and wages suppression? The mainstream big end of town story that inflation, the root of all economic problems, is caused by high wages and lower employment is being contested with the ACTU announcing the inquiry into price gouging and unfair pricing practices to be headed by Professor Alan Fells, former chair of the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission. We will hear from ACTU Assistant Secretary Joseph Mitchell about the proposed inquiry. We follow up with a report from the Australian Services Union, the ASU members working for Social Services Organisation, the Brotherhood of St Lawrence, have been taking strike action for wage increases that match inflation. They say it's not OK for an organisation that fights poverty to pay workers poverty wages. But first, some union news. <laughs> An Australian Institute report, the tip of the iceberg, measuring unemployment in Australia, challenges the Reserve Bank of Australia's prevailing narrative about record low unemployment and its insistence that the official jobless rate must rise by 4.5% to tame inflation. This shadow pool of unemployed people who are not being included in the ABS strict definition of unemployment could be more than three times the official number. The majority of people gaining and losing employment completely bypassed the ABS definition of unemployment and instead moved into and out of what the ABS defines as not in the labour force. Of the 629,500 people who left their jobs in December 2022, only 17% went into what is considered unemployment, while the remaining 83% were considered not in the labour force. Of those who entered jobs, only 21% were previously considered unemployed by the ABS, as the remainder came from the ranks not considered part of the labour force at all, and therefore excluded from the definition of unemployed. The proportion of people bypassing the ABS definition of unemployment also appears to be increasing over time, making long-term comparisons like the claim unemployment is at a 50-year low more problematic. The definition for employment are also too broad. Anyone working more than one hour counts as employed. The definitions of employment, unemployed and not in the labour force stem from an era when men were the primary breadwinners who were more likely to rely on full-time work. Women's workforce participation was a fraction of today's rate. Part-time and casual work was far less common and the gig economy, as we know it, did not exist. The failings of the ABS definitions 
mean policymakers who reference the employment rate are only taking into account a small proportion of those looking for work. When the RBA uses the employment rate to help justify increasing interest rates, they're using a figure that does not give people an accurate understanding of what is actually happening in job market. In reality, there could be more than three times as many people looking for work than the unemployment rate suggests. The current definition of unemployment also underlie claims that about a potential wage price spiral because when unemployment is low, workers have power to push wages up. The Australian Institute report shows that policymakers and the media needing to broaden their focus from just the narrow unemployment rate in order to provide a clear picture for everyone about the state of our economy. Highlighting the national health and safety issue of death by silica dust, large rallies outside the Labor Party conference held in Brisbane heard from an affected worker. Well, if you have enough to come out today and support this cause, uh, I was in the stonemasonry bedrock industry for the better part of 10 years. Six years later, I was told I have five years to live. That's not good enough. We went through asbestosis in the recent history, and now there's another generation of young workers like myself given a fucking death sentence over a cosmetic product that is unnecessary to the construction industry. This government is in a position to change history and save the lives of young workers like yourselves and my colleagues and my friends and we cannot see this happen again. Another generation of young workers should not die for something unnecessary to the construction industry. I'm fighting because I've been given my death sentence but we cannot let it happen again and this government is in a position to save young lives from a disease that is preventable. That is the key word here. This is a preventable industrial disease and it must be prevented and this government must act now to change the way we look at this industry. Thank you all for standing up for the next generation of young stonemasons. Thank you. On the 21st of August, the CFMEU Construction and General Division's National Secretary, Sack Smith, thanked delegates at the conference for amending the party platform in a way that he says brings a ban on the manufacture, use and import of harmful engineered stone products a step closer to reality. The amendment reads, 49. Labor will take all necessary steps to eradicate the hazard posed to workers by exposure to silica dust. Labor recognises that the elimination of silicosis requires the strong coordinated efforts of all governments to take all necessary measures, including a ban on the manufacture, use and import of harmful engineered stone products, as well as other preventative measures, including a regulation outlining minimum safety benchmarks for application across all industries where workers are exposed to respirable crystalline silica dust, including mandatory silica awareness training for workers in those industries. B, comprehensive health monitoring program 
during and after employment to assist in identifying the onset of any dust-related disease. C. Dust register for all diagnosed cases of occupational lung disease. And D. Support financial and psychological for workers and their families diagnosed with occupational lung disease and who are struggling to return to work and adjusting to life with the devastating impact of their lung disease. Labor will ensure that workers who suffer an illness or disease as a result of exposure to silica will have the same access to justice and rights as workers exposed to asbestos. You're on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. Been feeling ripped off lately? That's the lure for a new online campaign by the Australian Council of Trade Unions calling on Australian workers to report a rip-off. An ACTU survey earlier this year found that 24% were skipping meals, 51% have used their savings to pay for their daily expenses, 68% reduced or stopped spending on non-essential items, 24% have been unable to pay bills or had fallen behind on bills. Meanwhile, they say, big business profits are going through the roof and in some cases, even outstripping pre-pandemic levels. The greed price spiral is what's really driving inflation, they say. Corporate profit accounts for 69% of additional inflation above the Reserve Bank of Australia's target rate of 2.5%. Meanwhile, labour costs, this includes wages, only accounts for 18%. Working Australians' real wages fell by 4.5% in 2022, according to the ACTU research. The ACTU has taken the assertion one step further by calling an inquiry into price gouging to be headed by Professor Alan Fells, former chairman of the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission. Its brief is to identify the scale of price gouging practices being deployed by large businesses and to understand the effects this is having on everyday Australians. The Australian Council of Social Services, ACOS, is backing the inquiry. Inflation has eaten into household budgets over the past year and has been used to justify aggressive interest rate hikes by the Reserve Bank, putting people's jobs and living standards in jeopardy, ACOS CEO Cassandra Goldie says. 3CR Wednesday Breakfast spoke to ACTU Assistant Secretary Joseph Mitchell about the upcoming inquiry. Uh, In the last year, we've seen inflation increase enormously, and that means that the costs of the the groceries you buy, the the petrol you buy, your energy bills, your phone bills, um, anything that you're trying trying to get access to has gone up significantly. And workers across Australia are telling us that they're really struggling to make their pay stretch over the essentials that they need. Um, And we think that this is, uh, is out of control and we think that some companies are taking this for a ride here. So we're really excited to have uh, Professor Alan Fells. Professor Alan Fells is uh, a former ACCC chair, so he headed up the Consumer Watchdog 
uh, a preeminent economist and a preeminent Australian, um, and he's agreed to chair uh, this inquiry into price gouging and unfair pricing practices, uh, which will examine uh, the behaviour of companies over the last uh, 12 months in this inflationary episode, uh, what companies have been doing with setting their prices, and if they've been either exploiting their market position, uh, putting pressure on their own supply chains, putting pressure on their own staff to increase their margins and increase their profits. We know that there's a lot of uh, inflation in the economy at the moment, and some businesses have had to increase their prices generally, but we know that some businesses which have a, which are in a position of power uh, increasing their prices dramatically in a way that isn't necessary and is actually driving inflation. Uh, and this inquiry, uh, chaired by Alan Fells with his expertise, will be a really good opportunity for us to examine the causes of price gouging, but also really delve into what are the effects on working people and how are working people going through this crisis. So we've seen since reopening from coronavirus, we've seen profits explode for some of our largest businesses. An enormous turnaround in businesses with limited competition like Qantas, big profits from the big four banks uh, and the big retailers are absolutely making a killing at the moment. And what we're not seeing is this sort of inflationary pressure bite them. Their profits are going up, their prices are going up. Uh, their workers' wages are stagnating and still below inflation. The uh, the outcome is that working people are struggling really hard. Well, I think that there are going to be two parts to this. There's, you know, in running this inquiry, we want to hear from from experts in their field, and we want to hear from from people who've had a really big think about um, price gouging and market market power. We really want to hear from ordinary people because. At the end of the day, working people know when things are going up in a way which is just unsustainable or which is taking us for a ride. Um, you, you look at the price of things like dog food going up enormously, it's really hard to figure out why that is. And you look at things like the price of groceries in regional Australia, the, uh, the increase in the cost of telecommunications, all of these uh, increases need to be reported and we need to figure out from, from people's perspective, mm. what are the ones that are really hurting? And how, how are those prices going up and why are they going up in such a way? Uh, it might not be the headline fee. It might be the sub-fees that you get when you, when you, when you book your, your loved one into care. It might be um, the overcharges that you get when you, um, when you run down to the bottom of the bank, bank balance. All of these things are ways in which companies can fatten their profits and need to be examined because... There's a lot of companies out there which are using and abusing the general inflationary crisis to increase prices of things which just haven't gone up for them. I think that there are some price increases which have been unavoidable. We're not going to say that the war in Ukraine isn't real, that uh, the supply chain blockages in COVID weren't real. You would have seen constraints on businesses then and adjusting to the new market conditions. But the purpose here is there are definitely price increases out there which are using a cover of a general inflationary episode mm. to increase prices just to make an extra buck, where companies don't have to do it, but they're abusing their market position to do so. And that's really the goal of this inquiry, which will be to figure out where those uh, gouging episodes are occurring, where unfair pricing is occurring, mm. and going into that. A really good example is just the difference in prices between people in regional, regional or remote communities and the rest of Australia. 
you see enormous differences in the prices of things down to canned vegetables mm. and tinned fruit, uh, which isn't justified, other than the fact that there might be only one or two groceries within the next 100 kilometres. That's a really important thing to look at, which is are some businesses, especially those big ones, mm. Are some businesses really exploiting their situation in the market? We'll have public submissions open. Uh, if you can go to pricegougingenquiry.actu.org.au, you can have a look at the website, the terms of reference, and make a submission if you would like. Uh, and through the inquiry, we'll be holding public hearings across Australia, which will allow workers and regular people to tell their story about price gouging uh, and uh, make their voice heard here. Uh, it's a really important opportunity and we really want as much participation from every kind, every part of Australia as possible. You're on Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. You don't fight poverty with pay cuts, chanted Brotherhood of St Lawrence workers outside the offices of the service on Monday the 14th of August as they escalated their fight to beat inflation. In the 93-year history of the social service organisation that operates mainly in Victoria, this is the first time staff has taken strike action. They are refusing to take what is actually a pay cut in the latest enterprise agreement. I spoke to Australian Services Union Delegate Andrew Wallace about the issues behind the strike action and the upcoming actions with management refusing to change its stance. We've had a clause for, for quite a long time now where we sit 3% above the award. Um, we're, we're in a sector where um, overwhelmingly staff sit either at the award or they have an agreement like we do where you sit very, very slightly above the award, but we're really dependent on that sort of movement in award wages in order to keep up with the award typically. So that's why staff are asking for a cost of living adjustment clause in our EA so that wages will keep up with inflation. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting uh, point that you make because uh, the lowest paid got an increase, but people in your position get, basically get a wage cut. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, it's quite interesting that the meeting that you had with your with the members, uh, people were really quite angry, weren't they? Oh, yeah. No, no, people have been um, very angry. I think the, the sort of the stubbornness of the organisation over this um, and, and it's to do with also the, the affordability of this. So the, the organisation is sitting on an $82 million accumulated surplus at the moment. We've estimated that um, and we've looked at, at sort of financial reports for previous years um, and the organisation needs to disclose how much it pays in super so you can impute um, wages from that. Um, we, we've looked at how much sort of a, a 1% or slightly more um, increase to keep up with inflation would cost the organisation be less than $1.5 million. So compared to that accumulated surplus, keeping up with inflation, even during times like this where inflation is running rampant, um, is not an, an over, overly costly um, endeavour for the organisation. And it's something which, you know, we're in an environment where the organisation is talking actively and is actively lobbying government who are um, overwhelmingly our, our funders of our programs for an adjustment to program funding to keep up with um, rising costs of living. And if we didn't have an adjustment like this in our agreement, none of that money would be passed on to staff. It would be absorbed into that enormous surplus which the organisation is sitting on. Well, of course... The, um, um... Well, that, that is subsidised by our wage cuts, right? Yeah, yeah. And and the... So staff are rightly outraged. Yeah, and the Brotherhood of St. Lawrence, of course, 
is a uh, important um, element in the social services sector. So, uh, as people have said, that all uh, one of the delegates said that uh, they feel really tired about uh, an organisation that um, is supposed to be a charity organisation forcing its workers to basically be um, in poverty. Well, that's 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 right. Um, I was talking to one colleague who's a delegate at the moment and was um, really quite upset at some of the communications coming out from the organisation, um, contesting the idea that you know some people in the organisation um, do feel like they are the working poor, um, that they are feeling the the pressures of the cost of living, and that there's there's sort of one rule for the people who we try to help in the community, and then another for staff. And there was someone who was, you know, working. Um, at the lower end of the the award schedule um, and only working part-time two days a week and we're like well you know I fall below the the poverty line in terms of my wages and you're trying to tell me that I this is this is imaginary and that I'm not struggling to keep up with the cost of living um I'll tell you another thing like after um so we voted down that proposed EA um back in May and this is the first time in the organization's history that staff have voted down a proposed enterprise agreement um but after in in the build-up to that and then the day after that vote was confirmed um we went and uh rallied outside the organization's board meeting we presented them with stories that we gathered from staff about the impacts on the cost of living and we we had um many of these stories i think we had about 40 stories from staff detailing how the overwhelmingly the cost of living crisis was um, affecting them and their lives, how they were able to support their, their children, many of them were single parents, how they were able to pay their mortgage, how they were struggling to keep up with rising rent costs in an attempt to try and appeal to you know, the, the new leadership and the members of the board and say that, look, this really matters to us. We're really feeling the, the squeeze of the cost of living now. And that is why your staff are frustrated with the way that you're responding to us. And that is why we are rejecting the offer which you're putting on the table. You actually had a, um, a meeting and everybody's decided that to uh, endorse further strike action. That's right, absolutely. So we both canvassed members on Monday um, at the, the rally, which members turned out to, and we had another meeting yesterday. Um, and so we've decided to further escalate strike action and um, strike next Thursday and Friday. There will be a rally outside uh, the Brotherhood's head office on 67 Brunswick Street uh, next Thursday. Um, we'll be outside there from uh, 12.30. We'd love to see people turn out in solidarity for us. That would be um, a, a wonderful thing to see and I think would really strengthen the resolve of staff here at BSL. That's it for Stick Together this week. If you want to catch up with our program, the podcast is available at 3cr.org.au. You can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by ringing 03 and leaving us a message. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you. Until next time, stick together. Thank you.
Listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.